0: This morning, you're visiting with us this morning on Sunday mornings, we're looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, and we're going to finish up a handful of verses here at the end of Luke chapter 10, the next event that happened in his life, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, it happened as they went, that is, Jesus and the disciples, that he, Jesus, entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this passage, and for many of us as we stand before you this morning, this is an old friend to us. And not just an old friend, but a needed friend. You've used this passage over and over again to bring perspective to our lives. And we thank you for a chance once again to kind of throw out the nets and and fish these waters again and to see what else you might speak to us from the passage or remind us of. And Lord, so many stand before you, and this is the first time they'll ever have read this passage or studied it, and we pray that you open it up to them and that you'd enrich their life and their relationship with you as a result of it. And, Father, we pray that as we study your word this morning that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace as we just set our focus completely upon you. We live in a world that is working very hard to put the focus not only of our eyes, but our mind and our heart, completely upon the things that are dominating it. Lord, we want our lives to be dominated by you, the eternal perspective, the things that will outlive this heavens and this earth. And so meet with us through your word, and we pray, Lord, that everything that we need to hear from you this morning, that we would do that, Lord, that you would speak to us. You love us, you know our needs Speak to us, we pray, and we pray, Lord, for that same blessing to be upon every church in this community as they teach your word this morning, that you would bless them, meet with them, strengthen these churches, strengthen the body of Christ in this community and the surrounding communities, we pray, Lord, strengthen and bless your people, we ask, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I think that to, in order to fully understand this incident that involves Jesus and two sisters by the name of Martha and Mary, it's important to recognize that as the Holy Spirit ordered the book of Luke, that he put this particular incident immediately following Jesus' teaching to a lawyer on, uh, by giving him the parable uh, of the Good Samaritan. And the lesson of the parable of the Good Samaritan is that all of our theology, all of our biblical learning, and there's nothing wrong with that, we need to be great students of the Bible, but all of our theology and all of our biblical learning, if, they aren't, if it doesn't translate into practical doing in our lives, then we're not living a life that is like Jesus' life. And, of course, that's the goal that we have, is to live a life like uh, His. Now, when Jesus spoke that parable of of the Good Samaritan, and He spoke to that lawyer, and He said, Go thou and do likewise. Become a doer of all these things that you have wrapped up inside of your noggin. And uh, it's good exhortation to Him, good exhortation to us. But one of the interesting things in all of that is great, but doers, interestingly enough, they have a weakness. And God addresses the weakness of doers now in this incident with Jesus and Martha and Mary. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's really only a few short months away from dying on the cross for our sins. It is becoming increasingly, literally by the week. the religious leaders of the Jews are becoming more and more hostile toward him and more and more bold and open in their opposition of Jesus and in their intimidation of people who are willing to openly follow him and align with him. So this was the, the kind of the tone of things and for people to follow Jesus and openly associate with him it was becoming more and more potentially costly for them to do that. And yet in spite of all of that, a woman by the name of Martha invites Jesus into her home, in the village of Bethany. Everybody in Bethany would have known that Martha opened her home up to Jesus. So she, in the middle of this hostility, the greatness of her love towards Jesus, she opens her home up. Uh, of hospitality to him, welcoming him into her home. We know, uh, again, and not from this passage, but from other passages in the, in the Gospels, that this home was located in Bethany. And we also know that Martha had a sister by the name of Mary. They are sisters in this passage. And they also had a brother by the name of Lazarus. And in all likelihood, all three of them lived uh, in this home. Now, Jesus obviously he accepts her invitation and uh, comes to the home and receives the extension of her hospitality. And we also know from the Gospels that Jesus was very, very comfortable in this home. Um, Martha and Mary and Lazarus were very good friends of his, they loved him deeply, and uh, in, likewise, he loved them and appreciated them uh, very, very much. Jesus probably stayed in their home in Bethany uh, very, very frequently when he would make his journeys from the north and the Galilee down to Jerusalem in the south. We notice in the Gospels that when he would come into the city of Jerusalem that it wasn't his custom to stay there. He wouldn't spend the night there. Typically, he would leave across the uh, Brook Kidron on the eastern side of, of Jerusalem, make his way into the Mount of Olives and either spend the night out in the open or in a cave or something like that with the disciples, or just make his way over the top of the Mount of Olives. It was only a distance of two miles between Jerusalem and Bethany. Come to the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha and spend the night there with his his disciples and so Jesus is no stranger to this home he's like a member uh, of the family and the entire passage you look at how comfortable everyone is with Jesus in the house it all testifies to the familiarity everyone had with one another Jesus comes into the home Martha immediately begins to make tuna fish sandwiches or whatever she's putting together for dinner and uh, Mary sits at Jesus's feet listening to his words and it's really a beautiful picture through verses 38 and 39 now notice again In verse 38, the activity that each of these two sisters chose to engage in, in in hosting Jesus. There is Martha, and when Jesus comes, she goes straight into the kitchen now to prepare a meal uh, for Jesus. It's important to realize, I think Martha is greatly misunderstood by the average Christian. It's important to realize that to go in and produce a meal uh, by Martha, that was no small task. Uh, there were no, you know, Safeways or Save Mart's. There were no, uh, you know, McDonald's. There were no places to go in and buy food like that. There was no Trader Joe's where you could go in and get the pasta with the sauces all on it and heat it up in seven minutes. I mean, there was none of that. You had to you'd produce all of this from scratch. We also know that Jesus, when he comes to the house, she's just not making lunch or dinner for him. He's come with the whole, the twelve, the disciples. You notice in verse 38, they came. So she's preparing a meal from scratch here uh, uh, for at least 15 people. So uh, no small thing that she's tackling. Now Mary, verse 39, uh, uh, there she uh, chose to uh, sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to His Word. I think that it's interesting to realize concerning Mary, and this is Mary of Bethany, that every time she's mentioned in the Gospels, we find her at Jesus' feet. That's just something that she did. And uh, in those days, when you had a teacher in a private setting, when Jesus would teach out in the open in the courtyards of the temple or wherever, the teacher would sit and the students would stand. But in a private setting, the teacher would sit, and then the students would sit at his feet in order to listen to his teaching. And so what you have going on here is not a conversation where they're chit-chatting and saying, Boy, how about that weather? You know, How about those Niners? How about those Raiders? Now, how depressing of a conversation would that be? But they're not talking about the events of the day and chit-chatting and all. She's sitting at his feet, and what he's doing is he's speaking about spiritual things uh, into her life. That's the conversation that that they are having. And so Jesus wasn't in their home just every day. So when he was there, this is what she desired to take away from that kind of, of an experience, to listen to the words of life that came from him. That was Mary's priority. Please do not think that Mary was some kind of a, you know, dreamy-eyed, mystical slacker who could never be found any time there was work to do, you know, and uh, something physical needing to be done. You could never find her. She'd just be off living in her head someplace and being what the world refers to as being so heavenly-minded that there are no uh, earthly good. Notice very carefully in verse 40 that Martha accuses her sister of having left her to serve alone. So at some point in time, in the course of the preparation of the meal, Mary apparently had decided that the meal was very much well at at hand, the preparation of it, and that to neglect the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet that would constitute the greater negligence, and so she decides that she is going to now leave that task that appears to be well at hand, and now sit at Jesus's feet. And the fact of the matter is that in the passage, uh, Mary was as, as willing uh, to take action and do do work as as Martha was. Now, notice Martha's rebuke of Jesus, and it begins here in verse forty. Just know that any time you and I are tempted to rebuke Jesus for his priorities, that it probably means our priorities are a a little bit out of uh, sync with what they should be. So, notice the rebuke in verse 40. She accuses Jesus of not caring. You don't care about me. You don't care about the circumstances that I, I find myself in. And she feels that he is showing great insensitivity toward her and allowing Mary to just sit there listening to him. I mean, what a waste of time, you know. And she's been left alone to prepare the meal. And the implication of what she's saying to Jesus here and in the presence of Mary is that what Jesus and Mary are doing does not compare in terms of importance to what she is doing in the kitchen now this is someone who is lost perspective uh... in their life in terms of what is really important in life and what is uh, less important. And, and so she feels that what I'm doing in this kitchen is the most important thing, and what Mary is doing is secondary. It's optional. I mean, she's just sitting there doing nothing compared to what I'm doing. And Jesus, it's not just her that's at fault, but you're letting her do it. You're encouraging her. You're an enabler. <laughs> Notice that she's so upset that she won't even call Mary by name. She calls her my sister. (laughs) You're really upset when you do that. I can't even say her name, my sister. You think it can't get worse? It does get worse, because she then proceeds to command Jesus to stop talking to Mary. Mary. Stop teaching her and tell her to get up and get into the kitchen and to help me. I mean, she's completely lost it. Now, from the vantage point of 2,000 years of human history separating me from that, I can look at it and it's an amusing scene to me in a very sick kind of way. And the reason it's so amusing to me it is because I recognize all of it, almost all of it, anyway, in my life. I mean anyone who has even the smallest bit of, or I mean of a Martha, anyone that even has the smallest bit of a Martha in them, you recognize that showdown, you recognize that scene, you feel all the emotion of what went on between Martha and Jesus. Here. Now, the reason behind this rebuke of Jesus by Martha is revealed in the passage, and this is very valuable to us. It wasn't just that she just exploded and went in and said a bunch of things, and you say, wow, what happened to her? The passage tells us what happened uh, to her. Notice in verse 40 we're told that one of the things that was behind all of this was that she was distracted with much serving and the word distracted literally means to be drawn in different directions at the same time so she's just kind of going around in circles she's going in every direction all at once and and i think that we can all understand that uh, from our own Christian lives too. She's just she's undertaken this task. It's overwhelming to her at the moment, and uh, the lamb's getting overcooked, and nobody's even getting to the you know the pita bread and the hummus and getting it out on the table and and all of this kind of thing. And so her mind's go and her heart's just going in a hundred different directions all at the same time. We're also told in verse forty-one as Jesus spoke to her that she was. Worried about many things. So she's, she's worried right now. She's fretting right now. We're also told, verse 41, that she was troubled about many things. So she is agitated. She is very agitated. She's agitated with her situation. She's agitated with Mary. She's agitated with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever felt agitated in your Christian walk. I have felt agitated at times in my Christian walk. She's also, verse 40, filled with self-pity. My sister has left me to serve alone. And notice also in verse 40, she feels that she's being overlooked in the situation. It's one thing to feel like I've been left all alone and neglected by all of the people around me and not helping me in this Kind of crisis that I'm in in my life, but then to feel on top of it that nobody cares about me and even God doesn't care about, you know, what I'm in the middle of here, Lord. You don't even care. You don't care that my sister isn't helping me. And also, she feels overlooked in life. And so she gets, is clearly irritated with the conduct of both Jesus and Mary and all of this. And she is mightily frustrated with her circumstances. Now, none of us know anything about this, but it's in the Bible, so we've got to study it. You might have a friend someday that experiences something like this. Now, all of this was not only disrespectful toward Jesus. What she does here is a public humiliation of Mary. Imagine being with the disciples. You're just minding your own business, sitting at Jesus' feet, which was the right thing to do. And Mary, and Martha comes in and goes off like that and the whole thing and accuses you in this kind of a way. I mean, you ever been in a thing where someone's done a Martha like this in a room and then they leave the room and everybody just... I mean, you don't know what to say, so nobody says anything. It's a terribly uncomfortable feeling. Now, to Mary's credit... She doesn't defend herself. Uh, She doesn't need to do that. Jesus is going to do that uh, for her. But she doesn't offer any kind of of a defense. Jesus is good at taking care of that for us. Now notice Jesus' answer to her rebuke of him, Martha's rebuke of him, verse 41. He said, Martha, Martha. Now whenever God talks to you that way, you know two things. Number one, we've probably done something... Wrong that he's going to rebuke us for. And he's going to rebuke Martha here. There are times in my Christian life where I need the Lord to just put his arm around my shoulder and give me a there, there, and it's going to be okay and just get me going. And then there are times in my Christian walk, just like you, where I need a rebuke. And it is the love of God to bring that rebuke forth in my life. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, the Bible says. And he, and he knows how to demonstrate his love to us. And so she needs a rebuke here, and uh, she's, she's going to get that. But when he says, Martha, Martha, it's also a term of, of endearment. And he's speaking, you know, a, a gen- he, he, he's got love and compassion for her. He understands where she's coming from in this. And, uh, and it's a mark of his, his rebuke is going to be a gentle one of her. Notice in verse 41, He says to her, you're worried and troubled about many things. I think it's important also to notice that he doesn't rebuke her for working hard. Doesn't rebuke her for serving hard. Martha, you're just a workaholic. Come on, get a grip on yourself. Doesn't do that. The whole time she's in the kitchen... Making that meal, Jesus isn't sitting in the other room saying, what in the world is Martha doing in the kitchen? Doesn't she, I mean, she's making tuna fish sandwiches in there instead of sitting at my feet and listening to my word. There isn't anything wrong with serving Jesus. There isn't anything wrong with serving Him long and hard in His calling upon our lives. That's not what He rebukes here. Martha gets in trouble because she takes on a bad attitude while she's doing it. She could have done exactly what she was doing in the kitchen with a good attitude and the end of the story would have been she served the meal, everyone had a great meal and lived happily ever after. Is not the hard work that is the problem here. The problem is in, in her attitude. Now Jesus tells her in verse 42 that only one thing is is needed or needful. And what he's doing is he's referring to listening to his words, which is what Mary was doing at his feet at the moment. This is the only thing, really, that's truly needful, Martha. So he appreciates the meal, he appreciates all the hard work and the service, but that's not the very most important thing to him. Given Jesus is, in essence, saying that given a choice between having one of his children serve him in the other room while he sits there silently alone or having them in the room fellowshipping with him, he'll take the fellowship every single time. Remember Jesus in John chapter 4 when he was talking with a Samaritan woman and the disciples went off in, into the city to uh, get some food, bring back some sandwiches from the deli or whatever, they could get the food, and they came back and uh, this woman had already come to know Christ by that time and had gone back into the village now and was becoming an evangelist to the whole city and and uh, the disciples looked at Jesus and and they, you know, wondered about the fact that they said, Rabbi, eat, and he said, I have food to eat of that you know nothing about. And they said, did somebody bring him food in the meantime? But he was talking about what happened there spiritually. And Jesus, even in that scene, communicating that given a choice between Uh, something spiritual happening between him and a person, and then something purely physical, even eating of a sandwich, he'll take the spiritual uh, every single time. And Martha has got the priorities all upside down here, and that's what Martha can be prone to do. Notice also in, in verse 42 that Jesus informs Martha that Mary has chosen that good part. There's only one thing that's needful, and Mary has chosen it here, between the two. You think that's needful? You, it, between the two, she's chosen the needful thing. And so he defends Mary from Martha's accusation. In other words, he's saying, don't, I, I, don't criticize her decision. She's made the right one, uh, Martha. She has chosen, uh, really, uh, the better meal uh, here in, in this, this home, which he said in verse 42 he will not participate in taking away from her. She's commanded, you get her up off of that, on that floor and get her in that kitchen. And he, in essence, says, I won't, I, I won't be a part of that. I will never, ever do that uh, to one of my children that has made this choice related to, to their life. And so he refuses to have any, any part in her plan. Now, I think that it is necessary to clear up a couple of commonly held misconceptions uh, about Martha in order to really understand how all of this applies uh, uh, to our lives as Christians. When we, as we read of her and other portions of the scriptures, we do realize that she did have a particular personality. She, clearly she was a take-charge kind of person. There's all kinds of different personalities in the body of Christ. I would hate it if everyone had the same personality. How dull would that be? You'd have all the type A crazies, you know, wow, and you know, no type B's to anchor, you know, or if you had all type B's it'd be like, come on, how about a little life around here, you know, and and no type A's to bring that in and everything in between. The diversity in the body of Christ is just wonderful. But, but Martha and Mary were uh, different in personality. And, and she's, she's a take charge, she's a mover, she's a doer, she's a shaker. That's what she is. In and, and John chapter 11, when her brother Lazarus dies, and then Jesus comes into the city of Bethany, she makes a beeline to Jesus. I mean, she, Martha's going to get, uh, Mary's going to get there a little bit later after that. But it, with an invitation, Jesus says, come out, you know, tell Mary I'm here and come. So with the invitation, she comes. Martha doesn't need an invitation. She goes straight there, and what she says to Jesus is just beautiful. She said uh, to Him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died, and even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of of Him. In other words, I know who you are. I know the power that you have. You can raise my, my brother from the dead. And, and then later in that same conversation, she said to Jesus, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. That was tremendous confession. It was dangerous to make that confession publicly about Jesus at that time in his ministry. This is a really deeply spiritual person. That's what Martha uh, is. And she's the kind of person who likes to express her love for God by serving and by doing. But she also needed to be careful to learn to keep her priorities right so she wouldn't become all tied up in knots and bound up with distractions and begin to worry and to trouble. This passage teaches us doers that Jesus treasures the time that we spend at his feet, listening to him, listening to his word, growing in our relationship to him even more than our Christian service that we do for him. He treasures the time at his feet more than all of the service that we offer to him. And we doers need to hear that. And we need to let that sink in. Because otherwise our priorities get turned upside down and we think the service is more important than the devotion and sitting at his feet, and now we're going to get frustrated with people, and we're going to get frustrated with God. I think that that raises the question for some of us here uh, this morning in terms of what does sitting at Jesus' feet uh, look like? Let me, well, before we get to that, let me just address one more misconception concerning uh, Martha before we uh, get there. One of the things uh, that people think about Martha is you al- almost always hear her spoken of very negatively. So people think that she's just kind of a carnal, pushy uh, person, not terribly spiritual. If you want something to get done, give it to a Martha. but. She'll do a lot of damage between here and there. So she's got a lot of energy and, and she's, she's can-do. She's efficient, you know. She gets a lot of stuff done, but she really runs roughshod over people in order to get, get those things done. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, oh boy, she's a Martha. Or, or they'll say something like, don't be a Martha, like it's some kind of a leper or something like that. The fact of the matter is, is that she was a very spiritual person, as I said. And again, the evidence of it by even inviting Jesus into her house at at a time like this where the hostility is so great uh, against him. And so, again, I want to drive home that point. Martha is not some kind of a carnal, uptight, uh, in the flesh all the time kind of person. She's a spiritual person. Now... When we look at this and we look at the lesson of the passage that our devotion and personal relationship with Jesus at his feet is more important to him than our uh, doing and our service, then I think uh, for some of us, as I said, it raises a question, and that is, what does spending time at Jesus' feet look like today? We know what it looked like 2,000 years ago. He was in the room, he sat there, and you sat at his feet. But what does it look like today? And what it looks like today is to devote a period of time each day to the reading of the Bible and to prayer. And, 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 And it's known as having a devotional time. It's by reading the Bible and reading the Scriptures that we hear the voice of God. In the same way that Jesus sat there and taught uh, Martha, you can be sure he wasn't teaching or teaching Mary. You can be sure he wasn't teaching Mary anything that isn't found in this book. So, to sit at His feet is to take this book and to read it in fellowship with God, in a relationship with God on a daily basis. And then how do we talk with Jesus? We know how she talked with Jesus 2,000 years ago. How do we talk to Jesus today? Through prayer. That's all prayer, is just talking with God. Talking to Him, all the things that are on my heart, all the things that I'm facing, all the things that are going on, and... In, in my life, and what about this, and Jesus, I lift this up, and my sister here, and my brother, and my uncle, and all these needs, and Lord, I pray for healing over here. And you're just talking with God about all of these things, just talking things over, processing it all, with a very active Jesus in, in prayer. And then I think this devotional time, is then, it isn't, I get done lifting up all these things to the Lord, and then, uh, in Jesus' name, click, amen, out, boom, out the door. But then, some time that can be spent just sitting quietly at his feet, just sitting quietly in that room, sitting in that chair. Sometimes people say, well, how long should a devotional time be every day? Six hours, I read it in a book somewhere, six hours a day. But there's a lot of guilt tied up in that length of time. And I think that one of the things about that, that devotional time is that it, it, there should be a you know, good, good amount of time given to it. But I think that a lot of times it, we can look and say, well, it's, it's going to be this amount of time every single day, you know, and, and, and it never deviates from that. But, you know, not every day's the same. And I think that w- one of the things that's good is to say, my devotional time today needs to be as long as is necessary for me to get up from this chair and head out into the world as a Mary and not as a Martha, to where my spirit and my heart and my mind have quieted down, regained perspective uh, for the day and life before I head back out into that big old world that we live in. And so that's what a devotional life is. That's how we sit, spend time at, at Jesus' feet. And the Bible teaches that Christianity really is, first and foremost, it's a personal relationship with God. You, do you realize, God, and this is, Martha's got to hear this, and I know, I know Martha like the back of my hand. God did not save us because He was in need of cheap labor in order to just get a bunch of people so He could get a bunch of things done. He saved us supremely for personal relationship with Him. That's what He treasures. I don't, know, I don't understand why He wants to spend time with me. I don't know why He would treasure it, but He does. And that our devotional time spent with Jesus means more to Him than even our service. Now that doesn't minimize the importance of service. You say, well, I'll have a devotional life with the Lord and then I won't serve. It's, it's either or. It's not an either or. We need to serve also. How else am I going to hear one day, well done thou good and faithful servant, unless I've been a good and faithful servant. But the service is, it comes after the relationship. There's hardly any greater damage is done in a local church than Christian service that is being done by people who do not have a devotional life with the Lord. They will do terrible damage in their area of ministry. And so the need not to get these things turned backwards. I've always loved the story, and I, when I first got saved, you know, they didn't have all these books on computers and I don't know, they probably had computers back in 1980, but they were as big as this section of the room right here, you know. They certainly didn't have Bible programs on them. And I'd saved my nickels and dimes and all that I could to buy one commentary at a time. And I remember the first commentary set that I bought was Harry Ironside's commentary set. And to have it in my office to this day, and reference it. And I remember one time reading him on this whole incident here, and he told a story in that book that has stuck with me through the years. And I think it's very, uh, very, very valuable. Uh, and he told the story of a man who had lost his wife, and uh, and she had left the the husband, the father, with one daughter, and he loved to uh have time with her uh, but being a busy man uh, the father could only spend uh, evenings together with her and so he'd come home from work and after dinner they'd spend several hours together and one of the other would read to the other and she'd play and she'd sing for him and and he found great great blessing in the company of his uh, his child and it was getting a little bit toward the end of the year and the daughter said to him one evening you'll excuse me tonight father I have something I should do in my room and and uh, so she excused herself and the same thing happened the next night and the next night and the next night, uh, much to his disappointment. And, but over time he got used to it and he didn't like to ask her what she was doing uh, that had uh, caused her to leave him alone. And then finally on Christmas morning she comes into his room and cried out, Merry Christmas, Dad, and handed him a pair of crocheted slippers that she had made for him. And he thanked her profusely for the gift but he said i would have rather had much more rather have had all those lonely evenings than these slippers beautiful and as comfortable as they are and i don't know how that impacts you but it really helps me to realize that my work and and i try to work hard as unto the lord and to serve him but it's only crocheted slippers <laughs> compared to, the t- to him, to the time that's spent sitting at his feet, and that's the truth of it. He would prefer our fellowship every time, even above our service. I think we also learn from this passage some signs that we aren't spending enough time at Jesus's feet. See, so how can I know that if whether I'm spending enough time at Jesus's uh, feet? And I think that we'll recognize. Uh, Most, if not all, of these things. A sure sign that I'm not spending enough time at Jesus' feet is being distracted in my Christian life, being pulled in all different directions by the circumstances in my life. In other words, the circumstances are driving me now uh, rather than God. Another sure sign is that, and they all come from Martha here, is that feeling of being overwhelmed. It means I've lost perspective here. I'm carrying the weight of it on my own. Becoming filled with self-pity is a sure sign that I need more time at His feet. Worry is a sure sign that I need to spend more time at His feet. And boy, we live in an hour, don't we, in the history of our nation where worry wants to really grab a hold of us. Becoming frustrated with people is a sure sign I need more time at his feet. Becoming frustrated with God is a sure sign. Impatience with people. Again, I know you know nothing of this, neither do I, but it's good to know. Agitation toward other people. Here's a good one. When I begin to treat other people rudely, it's a sign I need to spend more time in God's Word and in prayer with Him. When I get bossy with people, when I begin to uh, treat people with a clear lack of sensitivity toward their feeling and without a respect for them, whether it's co-workers or family members or spouses or, or in Christian service or people in general, all these are signs that I've lost perspective in my Christian life and the only way to regain it is to sit at Jesus' feet. Period. You cannot pick up the greatest, classic, Christian book and read it and have the priorities turned around as a result in the way that it happens with spending time at Jesus' feet. I mean, it's supernatural. That's where everything gets turned around. And and so when things, when I get like this, and one of the great blessings of this passage, when God brings it to my remembrance is, boy, I've got to find some place and sit down and be with Him right now. I'm running roughshod over people. I don't tend to do that. But I can do it in my heart and know I'm now just a step away from doing it out loud or doing it in in actions. Very often when I'm counseling someone and they have a real problem or crisis in their life, and, and I know that sometimes it can frustrate them or they might even feel that it's simplistic, but very often when the whole world is upside down, I'll just ask, would you tell me a little bit about your devotional life? My devotional life, what are you talking about? My husband just left me my devotional life. What are you? I know the counseling's free, but man, you should pay me with counseling like that. What are you doing here? What's my devotional life? And not always, but almost always, the person will say something like, you know, I really don't have one. And they're embarrassed, and I don't do it to embarrass people or say, you know, I used to have one, but, you know, I, I, I really don't have that anymore. The pressures of life, so that, that's, that got crowded out a long time ago. And I never ask that question to condemn people or, or, or anything like that, but it helps me to understand where to begin in the situation. Because you can pour a mountain of time, and you can give mountains of counsel. But if that isn't in place that life and that situation will not turn around. Everything begins there. No Christian, not for any length of time, is stronger or more spiritual than their devotional time with God. We do not rise above in our Christian life our personal relationship with the Lord. And I think that it's important to realize that when the pressures of life and the crises of life they they come down on us and they do come down on us. So often when there's that pressure, the temptation is to cut there. And it's the world worst decision because what really needs to happen is to lengthen that time during those periods of crisis. Again, until I can get up from His feet and say, okay, now I'm heading out into this world with my priorities right and understanding this situation from an eternal and spiritual perspective. Would you notice, and I think it's vital also, and I, I close with this, would you notice that all of this begins with a choice, Jesus said in verse 42, one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part. Having this kind of time in our life, that devotional time, it begins with a choice that we make to make that the highest priority in our life. It doesn't just happen. It will never just happen in our lives. There's too much pressure on our lives in this world is something that comes on the other side of a choice. And you notice, when Jesus uses that word chosen, He uses it concerning Mary. And Jesus recognizes Mary's devotion to Him came as a result of a choice that she had made to sit at His feet. In other words, Mary isn't sitting at Jesus' feet because she doesn't have a million other things to do in her life. Or that Martha's the really busy one, but Mary's really don't have a lot of things to distract them or to keep them uh, them busy. She she has chosen to sit at Jesus' feet because she's made it a priority above all these other things. And so Martha, Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, Mary has said no to something else in her life in order to say yes to being with me. And he says, Mary chose to do this. You don't choose unless you have options. Jesus Jesus didn't say, well, Mary does this because it's the only thing happening. I mean, television and radio are thousands of years away. What else is she going to do? No, you choose when you have options. Mary had tons of options of other things to do than to sit at Jesus' feet. And I think it's unfair for those who are... More of Martha's personality to, and I've heard it, to dismiss Mary as one who just naturally gravitated toward the feet of Jesus. That's just her personality type. That's just the way that God made her. And she just does it so easily, and she does it so effortlessly. She doesn't know how hard this is for me as a Martha. And, and we can tend to say that kind of thing Well, you, you, about other people. Well, she's just a natural Mary So for her to spend time at Jesus' feet, I mean, it's effortless. It it comes very naturally to them. That's a cop-out. And that's unfair to do to a Mary. And it's a complete misunderstanding of Mary. Mary took that time because she chose to make it that priority. She sat at Jesus' feet because she chose to do that. She had all the urgencies in life that Martha had. All of the competition for her time and her mind and all of those things, and, and, uh, and, and, but she resisted them, deliberately chose to make this a priority in her life. This devotional life that blesses Jesus, and it, and it also blesses our lives, by the way, it always begins when a person comes to a place in their Christian life and they deliberately choose. I am going to make this a part of my daily life. You can't guilt people into this. You can't condemn them into this. You can't beat them into this. It is their choice. And the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit's at work in all of this. Where the Holy Spirit gives us the will to do and the power to do of God's good pleasure. And the Holy Spirit puts within our hearts, if we'll just quiet it down enough, the Holy Spirit puts within our heart a desire for this to be a part of our lives. And then He gives us the power to make that choice and then to do it each day. And then as we do it each day, the Holy Spirit has a way of then making that the single most important part of our day, where we would be willing to jettison virtually everything else in order to make room for that. I think that a further evidence of Martha's deep spirituality is evidenced by the fact that she took this teaching to heart and she allowed it to change her life. Later on we'll see her in John chapter 12 and we'll find her again in this very same situation. Jesus in the house, all of the disciples in the house. She's preparing a meal for an equally large group and this time, not a single complaint. She's in there doing it with complete joy, completely blessed and I think doubtless because she had God's peace in her heart, that the peace that comes with putting first things first, the peace that comes with having learned to spend time at Jesus' feet and then doing everything after that in the afterglow of what happens between us and them and the Lord during that time. It's really a beautiful passage of Scripture. It's a needed passage passage of scripture for all of our, our lives. Christianity really is a relationship with God. And while we can lose sight of that every once in a while, Jesus never loses sight of it. It is the priority. He loves to spend time with his children. Let's stand together and we'll pray.